All right, everybody, welcome back. Flipping Matt's Wading Flats podcast, another episode brought to you by Fish Tackle Marine here in San Antonio, Texas. We are going to call this the Bassmaster Open Recap Show. I know in the last episode I said I was going to try to give you all some updates from up around Toledo Bend and everywhere, hopefully after my first day, after my second day, but the cell phone reception around Toledo Bend is terrible at best. Um, You pretty much have one bar service anywhere around that lake, and I tried to record a few things, and I mean, hell, I couldn't even look at Facebook half the time or load Facebook, more or less try to get a podcast to load. So unfortunately, I was not able to do any recaps or anything like that because the place I was staying didn't have Wi-Fi. So here it is. Um, All right, let's get down to just the the nuts of it. Uh, First time fishing a Bassmaster Open. It was everything that I was hoping it would be. It was everything that I expected it to be. Um, holy cow. I mean, Bassmaster does a great, a great job. Huge stage, huge pavilion they have there at Toledo Bend. All the boats in the morning at takeoff and getting to see uh, some of the, uh, I mean, some of the big names in our sport. Jason Christie was there. Ish Monroe was there. Bobby Lane was there. Uh, Todd Castledine, one of the local East Texas Hammers, was there. Uh, ben Milliken, YouTube star slash apparently a pretty damn good tournament angler after finishing fifth place and first place in the last two Opens. So uh, getting to see him, you know, and his crowd and his following is was unbelievable. Um, it was just really neat, the whole atmosphere, I mean, That whole part of East Texas is just everything bass fishing. Everything revolves around that lake. I mean, from the little town to every little gas station you walk into has a 10-pound bass mounted hanging on the wall or has a map of a lake posted on the wall or sells night crawlers or shiners or tackle. any, any. I mean, it was just really... That whole East Texas area around Toledo Bend just eats, sleeps, breathes that lake and fishing. So it was uh, it was really cool and really interesting to uh, get to uh, spend a little time over there and just see what it was like. Um, my tournament did not go as well as I'd hoped it was going to. I uh, I was very fortunate the first day I drew. A guy from South Carolina named Derek Lettinen, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Lettinen or Leffinen? Lettinen, I believe. And, man, he was unbelievable. I could not have asked for a better partner for my first time fishing in open. Uh, Very, very nice guy. Super nice guy. Talked, uh, wasn't scared to talk to you. Enjoyed, you know, conversation very very educated was very good at explaining to me what was going on what we were doing you know how we were fishing so I could make my bait choices and stuff accordingly and man he was just he was just a super nice guy and he was unbelievable and the fact that he didn't blue water me he didn't just hang me out to dry naturally he was covering you know, he was doing what he needed to do to give himself the best chance of catching a good bag. But, I mean, he did not leave me high and dry at all. He was a unbelievable partner, uh, very professional, and I just could not, uh, I just could not have asked for a better draw on day one. We, uh, we actually started our morning uh, fishing some shallow grass. He was throwing a... Uh, uh, plethora of different lures i mean uh through a uh through a spinnerbait some through a crank uh, small crankbait some uh you know through a speed worm some and we were basically just fishing shallow grass and uh i was throwing a uh i threw a weightless cinco some through a swim bait some uh finally through a texas rig some 
actually uh, finally settled in on a Carolina rig and uh, caught my two keepers that morning on a Carolina rig. Uh, got a couple other short strikes and whatnot and a few missed, missed bites. And I don't know if they were small fish or if they were just feeding funny. It was really weird. There was a lot of also white bass in the area and perch and stuff like that. So I would just, you could tell they were bites, but I was getting just those real faint tap, tap, tap. And then you'd reel down, give them a second, set the hook and then just come up empty. So it was like, I don't know if they were just down there pecking at the tail hell with the Carolina rig. I don't even know if it was perch or something and they were down there pecking at my weight. Not real sure, but, uh, was able to land two keepers. Uh, those were the only two keepers that I caught that day, but just watching him work the area and the way he methodically casted and worked up and down, he had his marks on his GPS and his trails and the way he worked, uh, worked the area one way and then turned around and worked it back the other way and then worked the inside edge, the outside edge and the top. And I mean, we covered that thing for 360 degrees until he was able to figure out what he wanted in certain direction and what cast was working. And, uh, it worked really well. He was able to, uh, he was able to finish out his limit and, uh, was able to get his first, his five fish in the boat there. And man, just driving around, you know, cruising around, it was dead slick calm. It was overcast. There was no ripple on the water. I mean, it was glass. It was like a bathtub. So it was very easy to see the fish busting, see the fish, uh, you know, spooking or chasing bait. And one of the most unbelievable things happened that morning that I've ever seen in my life. And <laughs> we were sitting on this flat and he probably maybe a hundred feet in front of the boat. We, we heard this big splash and we saw this big perch or this big crappie. I, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was big. And we saw it come up to the surface and splash. And there was a big fish chasing behind it. And it came up and swirled on that perch or that crappie. And that fish was laying on the, the water stunned. And then sure enough, that big fish came back up again and swiped at that fish again, hit it again. And whatever it was, I, I it's like I said, it was either a crappie or a big perch, but that bass was trying to kill and eat that big bait. And about the time it came up and swirled the second time, my, my partner, my pro already had the trolling motor on high gear and was heading that way. And we got up to probably, gosh, I don't know, 30, 40 feet from it. And he reached down and picked up his big glide bait. Cool thing about this glide bait was he actually, uh, the glide bait was made for him by his son. His son actually hand carved that glide bait and built it from scratch and painted it and everything and gave it to his dad to use out here fishing these tournaments. So he picked up that glide bait and pitched it out there and started reeling it in and sure enough the first cast he reeled it in that fish turned on that glide bait and looked at it but didn't commit to it went back to staring at that big bait fish that was stunned up on top of the water so he reels it in pitches it back out there a second time starts bringing it by that fish turns on it again and looks at it but doesn't commit to it still interested in that big bait fish that's that he stunned earlier well finally pitches in there for the third time and goes to reel in that bait in and man that fish turned on that glide bait and devoured it just ate it and he set the hook on that fish and just started reeling he was kind of Derek was kind of walking back towards the center of the boat you know trying to keep the line tight and Unfortunately, when that fish hit that glide bait, it started swimming right towards the boat. So there was, 
I mean, Derek was having to play catch up in a hurry to get to, to, to gain ground on that fish. And that fish started swimming right towards the boat, like beeline towards the front of the boat. And Derek's got that rod loaded up and he's reeling as fast as he can. And in an instant, that fish comes up right next to the side of the boat. I mean, we're talking six to eight feet from the side of the boat. If we were allowed to use nets in this in this tournament, there is no question. With a long-handled net, there is a chance that either myself or him could have scooped that fish when it came up and broke the surface right there. And that that fish came up. She sh broke the surface, shaking her head, and man, that glide bait just poof right out of the right out of her mouth. And she just never had a hook in her. She chomped down on the bait. She ate on it. And I guess it was because when she ate it, she was swimming straight towards the boat so fast. And Derek was having to play catch up so fast that she was never a, he was never able to just get a good hook in her. And when she came up and shook that head, big old bug eye, bucket mouth fish. I mean, I don't know how big that fish was. Uh, I mean, the biggest fish I've ever caught has been nine pounds, and I know that this fish was way bigger than that. I mean, I don't know if it was an 11-pounder, a 12-pounder, a 14-pounder. I have no idea. It was huge. It was hands down 100%, without a doubt, a double-digit fish. I mean, I can say that with 100% confidence. It was a double-digit fish, and it was literally eight feet from the boat. And I know that a lot of people, you know, hear these stories about the one that got away or, oh, man, I broke a big fish off and this. But seeing it with your own eyes, literally right there, knowing that, I mean, your tournament is right there, literally. And looking back on it now, he weighed in 12 pounds the first day. And let's just say that fish was a 12-pounder. He would have gone from 12 pounds to 22 pounds for his limit just with that one fish. And the fact that he hooked that fish on a glide bait that his son handcrafted and hand-carved and gave to him was even more unbelievable. I mean, that just the story. And if he could have landed that fish, God, I felt I, my heart sank when that fish came unbuttoned just because the whole ramification of the whole story, the, what the culmination could have been of catching that fish, you know, being, he would, he would have been in the, he'd have been in the top 10 after the first day would have had the big bass of the day would have caught it on his son's bait. I mean, all of these things are going through my mind and I, I, I can sit here and replay seeing that fish over and over and over again and the story never changes the picture never changes watching all of this happen while i was standing in the back of the boat was literally like i was watching it in slow motion and it was just the coolest it was the most unbelievable and most heartbreaking thing i've ever witnessed in my life at the same time and when that fish came unbuttoned, I mean, Derek, you can tell he's been doing this fishing thing for a long time. This tournament fishing, I mean, he took a moment, he regathered himself and picked his other bait up and went right back to fishing again, trying to just make another cast, get that next bite, catch that next fish, and, you know, just try to work through it. And he was able to do that. And, oh my gosh, it was just you could tell, I mean, he was shaking, I was shaking, and just knowing <laughs> what could have been, you know, there's always the, well, if I would have done this, or if I would have done that, I mean, you know, you never know what would have happened, but just getting to see it there in, per in person, and getting to witness it, it was so unbelievable, it was the best thing that, I mean, it, it was the coolest trip, it made my trip, it made my trip as a co-angler getting to see that fish, getting to witness it, getting to fish with a guy like Derek. 
and spend a day on the water with him. And, you know, even, even to the little things of getting to talk to the guys that he traveled with. Um, one of his traveling partners, uh, Keith Tuma, he, <laughs> he weighed in a monster bag the first day, 27 pounds. I like to think I'm a little responsible for that because when we were sitting in the weigh-in, you know, he eased on over to us and he found out it was my birthday that Thursday. So of course, you know, Hey man, give me some of that birthday juju, you know, gave him some nuts on the boat and man, he went out and crushed them 27 pounds, ended up making the top 10, making the cut the final day, uh, you know, getting to meet that, getting to meet him, getting to just meet some of the other guys. It's, uh, it was truly unbelievable. And I could not have asked for a better first day boat draw. I mean, naturally, of course, I only caught two fish. I only weighed in two fish for three and a half pounds, but it for it in no way, shape or form was anything to do with my partner. I had my opportunities to fill my three fish limit. I got my bites and you know, I didn't capitalize on all of them. I was able to manage two for 340 something or, you know, right at three and a half pounds. And that was all I was able to, to muster. But that had nothing to do with my 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 pro uh, or my boater. It was, uh, you know, just the pieces didn't all fall together to me for me that tournament. But so. All right. Back to the tournament. I know I got on a little rant there. I'm sorry. But. So we finish up in this first spot. Derek has probably about 10 pounds or so in the boat. Um, you know, he's got a limit and he decides, hey, we're going to go to one of my other spots I found in practice. So we run, you know, back across the lake and go to his other spot and a little bit different in the new spot we went to, a um, little bit deeper water, some you know, submerged timber and trees and which I know that describes pretty much every part of Toledo Bend, seeing as how it's just a flooded forest. But uh, we were fishing some pretty key cover, you know, some some certain hardwoods and stuff that he had found during practice. And uh, we were basically just moving around and fishing the fishing this timber and this and this wood and stuff like that. and. Uh, he was throwing a through a crankbait a little bit, through a jig, through a big spinner bait, um, and we were just moving around. And I was still casting the Carolina rig out of the back because really I learned that riding around in the back of somebody's boat and not and not being on the same team as the guy that you're fishing with, you know, having to catch your own fish and you're your own tournament, but you're doing it out of the back of somebody else's boat, man, casting a Carolina rig and dragging a Carolina rig is probably the most efficient way to fish out of the back of somebody's boat. Uh, you don't get hung up a lot. Well, <laughs> Derek might argue with me. I, I get hung up quite a bit, but you know, for the most part, you don't get hung up a lot and you're able to, uh, you're able to cover a lot of water. If you're fishing deep water, you're able to get to the bottom quick with a three-quarter, one-ounce weight. If you're fishing shallow water, you're able to move the bait fast. You're able to move the bait slow. You're able to present it in a bunch of different ways, even though you're throwing the same the same rig. So I found the Carolina rig to be a very, a very good way to fish out of the back of somebody's boat, especially when y'all aren't trying to do the same thing, you know. It'd be way different if we were tournament partners and we were fishing the same tournament because then, yeah, I'd be casting at the same stuff he is. It it wouldn't matter if I caught a fish or he caught a fish because it's all going to the same limit. Well, you know, when you're in the back of somebody's boat and he is out there trying to make, you know, he's trying to make a living. He's trying to finish as high as he can the uh <clears throat> you definitely don't want to be casting in front of him or trying to pick off fish that he could that he could be catching and that could be helping him so it uh you know trying to 
trying to be respectful and be nice and be courteous and giving giving your boater plenty of room was all the things that were going through my mind and uh i i'm, I'm thinking i did a pretty good job uh i don't think i ever got myself in a situation where you know i intentionally you know cast it in front of him or cast it in the direction that he was going i did notice a couple of times i would make a long cast out one side of the boat because he was fishing the other direction and then he would start turning the trolling motor and coming back the way that i had just casted so i would just reel it in real quick and let him get situated again and recast because i did not want to hinder his performance one bit I basically wanted it to be like I wasn't even there. And uh, that's what I tried to do. So we get to the second spot and we are fishing around and he gets a couple of bites, got a couple of bites on a crankbait, got a couple of bites on, on a spinnerbait and uh, got a couple of bites on the jig. He was, uh, he was able to cull. I think he was able to cull up two fish, get rid of two little ones, upgrade a little bit which took him from probably about 10 pounds to about 12 pounds. So uh, that was really cool. And, uh, you know, getting to see the whole process and the way, man, it is so amazing how fast those guys are at fishing the boat, catch the fish, unhook the fish, go back to your live well, pull your little fish out, take the cull tag off, cull tag on the new fish, culling. And I mean, within a matter of 30 seconds, he's done all this and he's back up on the front boat, back up on the front deck of the boat with his rod in hand, casting, ready to go. And I mean, you know, time is of the essence in a tournament. When you only have a certain number of hours in the day to fish, it is the more time you spend with your bait in the water, the better off you are. So uh, I was not able to uh, catch a fish at the second spot. Um, Again, it wasn't due to anything he did. I just wasn't able to capitalize on, I got a few bites and, uh, again, little kind of weird kind of goofy bites, you know, that I'm not real sure if they were bass or if they were bass, they were little bass. And, you know, a couple of times I'd get a little bite and reel down, wait a few seconds, set the hook and come back up and my worm would just be pulled down a little bit or, my worm wouldn't even be messed up at all, but I know they were biting it. So, you know, just little things here and there. I, I wasn't able to capitalize, but uh, we he was able to upgrade, and it turned out to turned out to be a good day. I, I know it wasn't the day that he was hoping for, um, only weighing in 12 pounds, but I do know that he was able to go out the second day and make an adjustment. He was down around the hundredth place or so. Um, my boater after the first day and he was able to go out the second day and catch a really nice bag. He had a, either a high 15 or a low 16 pound bag and was able to jump all the way up to 53rd or 54th place. And that is huge for a guy that's fishing all nine of the opens, you know, trying to finish in that top 10 in points, possibly qualify for the elite series. And, uh, I mean, it was huge for him to jump 50 places in in just one day. So um, after I weighed in, it was, I had, like I said, right, 3.4, three and a half pounds or so. And I was fishing, I was finishing in 72nd after the first day. Um, wasn't too far out of the money line. I think they pay 40 places, so, you know, I was only a couple of pounds out, uh, I, you know, so I had a decent shot at climbing up into the money if I had a decent day. I mean, I figure I probably needed to catch, at this point, I figured I probably needed to catch eight or nine pounds the second day to jump up and, uh, you know, get close to that 40 spot, but, uh, yeah, we'll definitely get into the second day uh, as soon as we get done taking a break here. But that's pretty much the first day recap right now. Everything went uh, everything went awesome. And uh, at this point, I am sitting on cloud nine, enjoying everything about the uh, Bassmaster Opens. And you are getting ready to hear in the second session what uh, what transpired on day two. 
we'll be back here in just a minute okay back now part two of the Bassmaster Open Toledo Bend recap uh, now we're on to day two so I had an amazing first day with an amazing boater that I drew uh, sitting decent basically middle of the pack after the first day on the co-angler side um, and knowing that I need a little bit of luck I need a couple of better quality bites the second day to possibly make a run at jumping up and finishing in the money but sitting on cloud nine got uh, got off the water um, you know watched a little bit of the way in and uh, just enjoying it uh, and about this time is when pretty much my trip took a 180 degree turn in the opposite direction so I walk up to the top of the hill with all my gear go back up to the tournament rig you know get back in that tackle box and I load all my stuff in the tackle box backing out of my parking spot which I was parked over on the on the grass and back up onto the pavement and all I put it in gear and I take off and something feels a little funny and then I get up to about I don't know 10 miles an hour or so coming out of the Cypress Bend Park there and all I hear is and I went oh shit so I pull over to the side of the road right there on the little park road I get out and sure enough passenger side front tire flat dead as a doornail and I'm going oh great so I drive down the park road a little bit further maybe another couple hundred yards or so uh, where the entrance gate is and there's a a uh, you know the park office and stuff like that so I pull off to the side of the road next to this garage and I was just going to pull over there because it was out of the way, flat ground, so that way I can uh, change my tire, put my spare on, my little donut. And I pull up in front of this little garage, and the garage door was open, and this lady walks out and goes, can I help you? And I said, no, yeah, no, ma'am, I'm just, I got a flat tire, so I'm changing, you know, I just pulled over ahead here to change it, get out of the way. And when she walked out, I kind of walked towards her, and I noticed that inside this garage was five or six golf carts. And I'm guessing it's the golf carts that they use to drive around the park. So I asked her, I said, ma'am, you by chance don't have an air compressor in there, do you? And she goes, well, yes, we do. We use it for the golf carts. And I said, awesome. I said, do you mind if I use it uh, and see if my tire will at least air up? And she goes, yeah, absolutely. So she helps me, and I carry the hose outside, and boom, sure enough, I'm able to air up my tire all the way up. Only problem is I hear the air coming out of the tire going, so I know it's not going to last very long. But luckily, I'm only about seven or eight miles from Toledo Town, the little town that's right there not far from where we're launched at and where we're staying so i coil up the air hose real quick say thank you jump in my car and i take off and i'm going as fast as i can because you know i know air's coming out i mean and we're going through all these winding roads and i make it all the way over and there's a little mechanic shop in toledo town and uh i pull in there and they do, they are a tire shop, some too, so they fix tires and everything. So I pull up and I walk inside. The girl that that answers at the desk, she is super nice. What can I do for you? Ma'am, I got a flat tire. You know, I want to see if I can get it patched or fixed, or if not, if I can get another tire. So uh, they bring the floor jack out, jack up my tire, take it off. Sure enough, after inspecting it, I have a cut on the sidewall inside the tire, so I, I there's nothing they can do about it. I can't patch it. So, uh, you know, I said, okay, ma'am, well, do you by chance have a tire? Now, 
I knew chances were slim because when you drive a, you know, a very specific piece of machinery like I do in the tackle box in the tournament rig, you know, very specified, you know, it runs on special tires, special fuel, special everything. So I knew chances were slim that they didn't have the size tire that I needed um, for that kind of performance machine. So anyway, she comes back in. No, sir, we do not have the tire. We can order you one and it can be here tomorrow. And I was like, okay, no problem. They put my little donut on there and uh, went ahead and paid for the tire and everything. But now I'm in a little bit of a dilemma because I've already gotten my text message from Bassmaster that I don't check in, right? I don't check in tomorrow, the next day until 525 in the afternoon is when our boat check-in is. And I asked the lady, I said, when are y'all open till? And she goes, well, we're open eight to five. And I went, oh man, this, this is going to be tough. How am I going to get this done? And it was already 445 in the afternoon. So I didn't have enough time to drive to Manny, Louisiana, or one of the other little towns and make it there by five o'clock to get a new tire. So the 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 girl was like, "Well, let me let me talk to so and so and see what we can do." And he came inside, super nice guy, amazing. I think it was all one family. Um, I think the girl that worked the front desk was the daughter. I think her mother was in the office and possibly dad or somebody was one of the guys working outside and he came in and he said hey i tell you what go ahead and order the tire pay for it and when it comes it leave your rim with me and when it comes in i'll mount it and balance it and i'll just leave it outside on the side of the building it'll be fine nobody's gonna mess with it and then whenever you get done fishing you can just drive over here change your tire and I went, okay, not bad. Sounds good to me. So got all that figured out. Got tire paid for, ordered everything. I'm back on track now. Got a tire. Went across the street to El Patio, little Mexican food restaurant. Very good, by the way. I recommend that to anybody that's in Toledo town. And uh, got me some dinner. Ran by the gas station. Got a few things for the next day couple of waters, snacks, stuff like that, and then head back to the cabin I was staying in. I was very fortunate because a real good friend of mine, Nick, that lives in Houston, has a little cabin up on Toledo Bend that ended up only being about a 20-minute drive to the tournament launch, and he was super, <laughs> it was unbelievable. He was super nice, let me stay there for the week uh, or for the three days that I was there, and man, the hospitality was great. Everything was awesome. Stayed right on the water. So I got to hang out in the evenings right by the water and have a few uh a few cold cores lights and relax and that's what I that's what I did Thursday night. And I get my text message from Bassmaster, talk to uh talk to my co angler for tomorrow. He tells me what time and when and where and everything. And uh so I'm good. I retie a few things that I need to retie get everything ready, get it put in the tackle box. And now I am uh, just sitting down relaxing and uh, thinking about the day, still thinking about that huge fish that came up and ate my boater's glide bait and uh, just relaxing and uh, getting ready. So next morning, next morning shows up. I get up, head down to Cypress Bend and go get in line, park everything, grab all my stuff, walk down to the dock to go meet my boater. And uh, I get down there and, hey, first thing I noticed right off the bat, no ifs, ands, or buts, no good things, no bad things, but just an observation. Uh, first thing I noticed is I get down there and I drew an older gentleman for the second day, uh, had an older boat, which, hey, no big deal. There's plenty of these guys that, Runner, there's plenty of these local guys that run around and catch fish every single day in an older boat. You don't have to have a brand new one, so no big deal. You know, get in the boat. He's super nice. Shake his hand, introduce myself, get in the boat, get situated and everything. And 
you know, and just start talking, start getting ready. And <laughs> I start noticing a few things. Um, I start noticing that, you know, he pretty much an old school fisherman and uh, has uh hand controlled trolling motor still on the front of the boat, has uh, a small graph on the front, small, little five inch graph on the front, five inch graph on the back, you know, still uses a bunch of the uh, Abu Garcia ambassador round reels. Um, you know, just picking up on little things, little observations and going, okay, so this guy is real old school, you know, which, hey, like I said, I'm not complaining yet. I I know plenty of old guys that go out there, they know exactly what they're doing and they whack them. So I'm sitting here thinking, all right, cool. So we get out and uh, we get to fishing, go to a first couple spots and fish around no bites, nothing, nothing really happening. It's, uh, it's pretty dead, pretty calm. And, uh, so we go to the first couple spots. Okay. You know, it first couple hours go by pretty fast. I'm trying everything. I'm throwing a fluke. I'm throwing a Texas rig. I'm throwing a speed worm. I'm throwing a swim bait. I'm throwing a Carolina rig. I'm throwing a weightless Cinco. I'm, I mean, I'm just trying everything just trying to pick up a bite i know i i know i need three fish i've got to get three fish and uh you know just just not putting anything together yet so we fish the first couple of spots to no avail go to the next spot and it, it, it you can just tell everything is just not going right it's everything is just stalling. Like I literally feel like I'm in an airplane and the engines have stalled and we're just coasting down to the ground, just hoping for a soft landing. And like I said, it's nothing, it was nothing against the guy, the character, his character, anything like that. He, for lack of a better term, he had just, he had a knife in a gunfight. When you've got 225 guys in a tournament, 175 of them have dedicated to fishing all nine because they're literally trying to make the top tier of professional bass fishing. These guys are serious. They do their homework. They do their practice. They do everything. And this guy just wasn't one of those guys. He... You could tell he loved fishing. He enjoyed it. He fished hard all day. There was no doubt about his effort or his want to catch fish or his will to try to catch fish. He just, he was just outgunned. He just, he just did not, he didn't have it. He didn't know what he was doing um, on this particular body of water. And so... I was beginning to see pretty quick that it was going to be an uphill battle all day. So we continue to move around, continue to, to try things. I mean, we go from deep to shallow to the back of creeks, to the main lake, to boat docks, to, I mean, we spend all day moving and shaking and just going all over the place. And it was super, super hard. Because even myself in my own personal boat, I'm used to fishing with a certain amount of technology, even being able to just have a brand new map chip, you know, that shows you all the flats, all the creeks, everything, you know, you're able to eliminate a lot of water just by looking at the map. And unfortunately, this guy didn't even have a map chip in his old graph. So we're literally just it's blue where it's supposed to be water and it's brown where it's supposed to be grass or land. And so it, it, I don't even know where to go or what we're doing or, you know, Hey, here's the top of the hump over here. Let's try that. Or, Hey, let's get off the side a little bit over here. Here's the Creek or 
I mean, we're literally just fishing blind. So when we were up shallow, it was no big deal because you're fishing the bank. You're fishing what you can visually see. Well, then when that doesn't work and he decides we're going to go try offshore, well, we're just basically pissing in the wind at that point. I mean, we're literally casting into no man's land. We have no idea where we're going, what we're doing. And we're just out there kind of kind of going around aimlessly, just uh, at this point, you know, go with God. Hope <laughs> hope there is a uh, hope there's a fish down there somewhere and my bait's within a hundred feet of it. Um so it was <laughs> it was a little frustrating, especially when, you know, I was really looking at this Bassmaster open co angler thing as a learning experience more than anything. Not even, I didn't even care so much about doing good in the tournament as much as I just wanted to get the opportunity to ride around in a boat with a guy that is way more dedicated and way more hardcore about fishing than I am. And I got that on day one with Derek. Derek was unbelievable. On day two, for lack of a better term, I just got a guy that had enough money to do it and just wanted to do it because he had fun or it was fun to him. So I go from a guy that is seriously trying to make the Bassmaster Elite Series to a guy that is basically just taking his week's vacation and decided to drive to Toledo Bend and go be in the Bassmaster Open. And it just complete night and day difference. And so we, we continue fishing. We, and I, I'm not going to lie. I fished hard till probably about three 30. And I just got to the point to where I couldn't take it anymore. I was getting frustrated. It was already weighing on my mind that as soon as I got off the water, I was going to have to go change a damn flat tire, which that wasn't helping my mood any. I mean, who the hell likes to change a flat tire? Nobody. So, you know, we, I'm fighting through all this and, you know, I'm trying to stay positive and it just, it is so difficult going from such a high to such a low. And unfortunately, this is what you get when you sign up for the Bassmaster Open as a co-angler. I mean, it boils down to luck of the draw. They are picking your fate for you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I understand there was 225 boaters. There was about 140 co-anglers. So, you know, not every boater had a co-angler. Um, you know, I had 225 guys to choose from. Personally, I, well, I didn't get to choose, but I... My name was going to get paired with one of those 225 guys. And unfortunately, I got a bad draw. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't be upset about it. I can't be upset with the guy that I drew because it's not his fault. But at the same time, you know, I'm sitting here thinking there's 175 guys that signed up. For the Bassmaster EQs. Guys that are legitimately trying to do this for a living. And there's only 140 co-anglers. My question is. How are we not paired up with those 175 guys first? And then if there's more co-anglers than what there are EQ anglers. Then it trickles on down to. The guys that are just signing up for one event or for one division or, you know, I mean, let's face it, guys. We all join to be a co-angler. So we get the opportunity to ride around in the boat with a pro or someone who's aspiring to be a pro or anybody. And that's that's what we're going for. It's the it's. It's the thought knowing that when you leave the marina that morning idling out of the no-wake zone, 
you have that feeling inside of you, hey, I've got a shot. I've got a chance. Even if I don't have a chance to win, hey, I've got a chance to possibly catch a big fish because I'm with a good angler. Hey, I've got an opportunity to learn something. You feel like you have something to look forward to. And unfortunately on that day, I didn't have it. Um, I, I didn't draw it. And if I had to make a suggestion, you know, to Bassmaster, that would be my suggestion. As long as there is enough EQ anglers to cover the amount of co-anglers, those are the guys you need to be pairing together. I mean, let's face it. We're paying $400 to enter this thing. Bassmaster's not hosting our co-angler tournament for free. They're getting something out of it, some kind of financial benefit for it, whether it's, hey, we all have to sign up for a Bassmaster membership. You make money off of us that way, or you're taking a little percentage of the pot, whatever. I mean, Bassmaster is a for-profit company, and I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. We're all in this to make money, but if you're going to be making money off of us, man, let's let's try to get this thing a little better. You know, I went from being on cloud nine to trying to keep my head above water the second day. And being the first time ever fishing a Bassmaster Open, now instead of me coming back and telling my buddies and telling my wife and everybody, man, I can't wait for the next one. I'm ready to sign up right now. I'm literally not answering phone calls on my way home from all my buddies calling me asking me how it went because I'm a little pissed off and I don't want to talk to them. So I literally left Toledo Bend Friday afternoon at 6.30 in the evening, and I drove the six hours straight home just because I was ready to get that far from that lake as fast as possible. And that's not the image that I think Bassmaster wants to portray. I don't think that's the image that they are trying to portray, but unfortunately that's the image that's getting out there to guys like me. So now, instead of the next time they come back, me ponying up another $400 saying, dude, sign me up right now. Now I'm sitting here thinking, do I really want to do it? Do I really want to waste two days vacation time doing this? Do I, you know, do I want to do this stuff? Or am I just going to save my vacation days and go fishing on my own or do whatever. And so overall experience on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to have to give it about a six and a half, six and a half to seven. And I hate to say that, but after, after the first day, I gave it a nine. Only reason it wasn't a 10 is because I didn't catch a bunch of fish. And that's not, my fault. That's not my co my boater's fault. That's just the circumstances that happen. So yeah, give it a nine. I would jump in the back of Derek Lettman's boat again any single day. 100%. Anytime, anywhere, any place. If I got the opportunity to fish with him, I'm on it. Uh, so give it a nine. Second day, yeah, buddy, I'm going to give it about a three. And the only reason it was a three is one, I woke up that morning. Two, I wasn't at work. And three, I was on a lake somewhere. So those are my three points. So you average that together. Yeah, I'm going to give it about a six. I'm going to give it a six and a half at the most. And I hate that because I want to be able to get on this podcast and tell everybody, dude, you need to go do it. And I do recommend it to anybody, but I and I cannot in good conscience tell you that it's going to be unbelievable every single time you go because you always have the chance that you don't get the good draw. And unfortunately, that happened to me, happened to me on day two. And, you know, as much as I was frustrated and I was mad and I was upset, I still had a great time. I 
realistically, I would still do it again. Um, you know, if they come back to Texas next year, there's a good chance that I go do it again just because I just enjoy fishing that much. I love the tournaments. God, I love the competitive nature. I've been competitive my whole life. I've played every sport. Um, I just, I love the seeing where you stack up against other anglers and, and all that. And I love watching it. I'm a diehard when it comes to the game of bass fishing, tournament fishing. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to do it again. Uh, unfortunately I got a bad draw, but you know, there's always, you know, there's always a bright side to everything. There's always a silver lining to it. And I did get to witness an amazing feat with that glide bait and that fish. I got to spend an amazing day in the boat with my boater on the first day. I got to meet his roommates. They were unbelievable, super nice. I got to see a great way in. I got to see some of the big name guys walking around the parking lot. Got to see him at the gas station. Got to, you know, feel the the whole atmosphere and everything. And it is really cool. I do suggest that to anybody go enter, enjoy the hell out of it. Just know that there is a small chance that you might not get the best draw, but you got to make the best of it. And, uh, yeah, so that's the, that's my Bassmaster open recap Toledo bend. Uh, so, um, yeah, I guess I could, uh, I guess I could say, uh, tournament season's about over. I got one, I got Bass Champs doubleheader next weekend at Lake Amistad. And that is going to be our last bass tournament for a little while. And I'm going to be jumping back on the, uh, Wading Flat side of the podcast because, Starting the first weekend of May, we're going to be rocking and rolling back in that salt, stroking them redfish and trout and looking at, I'm definitely looking at getting down there, getting back after it. And uh, I look forward to uh, talking to everybody next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And next week we will be back with Flippin' Matt's Wading Flats and talk to y'all later. Bye. <laughs>